0: Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 14, verse 15. As Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, he said to them, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a comforter, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then a couple of chapters later when Jesus is, has encountered Pilate and is being basically judged by him as to whether or not he should be crucified, he says this, For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? Let us pray. Oh God, we do wait on you. We wait on you to appear today and to speak to us, in a world desperate for truth. Spirit of truth, blow upon us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Friday, the headline of the Dallas Morning News was a four-inch title that said, Comey, you know him, the the former director of the FBI, Comey says, Trump lied! And in the midst of all of the testimonies and the sworn um, investigations and and articles flowing everywhere, you wonder where the truth is in it. And amidst all of that, there's, there's these allegations that just before the election, Russia had had written some stories and and basically interjected them into our media, um, official and unofficial, social media, uh, to affect the outcome of the election. And and then in the midst of all of that, I get a text from my sister that says that one of my favorite Christian authors, I'm not going to tell you who because you'll be Googling it, um, uh, that he died, and she sends me a, a snapshot of the daughter's Facebook page that has a picture of the family all together and, and says, Dad, you did it. You ran the race for Jesus. And I'm going, I, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if somebody hacked her Facebook page. And so I'm looking on the web. I don't see anything about it, and I still don't know if he's dead or alive. What is truth? A big question for us today I almost feel like I'm in this little rowboat that's just being battered by wave after wave there's there's fabricated websites that represent who knows what and there's and there's photoshopped pictures that you wonder if his hand really was there um, and and then there's there's all of this this veil of anonymity that drops down on us like a fog these, these stolen identities or pretenses and, and we just feel like we're lost in this storm we can't see our way out and our boat is just being crashed upon by the waves we're flailing where's the truth what's the truth how did we get here and where are we going it might comfort us that it's not a new problem a hundred years ago you might have remembered in your history books most of us weren't alive then Um, the yellow press there was in in New York City the Pulitzer's newspaper and Hearst newspaper were fighting against one another for who got the most readership and so they would just take stories and and exaggerate them and inflame them and sensationalize them so they could get more more readers Oh boy. Tires you out. Tires God out, I think. It seems that with humanity goes this problem of lying. It's maybe since the Garden of Eden, I don't know. But um but for instance in Jeremiah, the, the prophet that spoke to God's people who had who had really strayed from from God, you might recognize some of this. It says, They bend their tongues like bows. They have grown strong in the land for falsehood and not for truth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they don't know me, says the Lord. They all deceive their neighbors, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They commit iniquity and are too weary to repent. Oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Sounds familiar. I just feel like I am tossed around in this little boat, flailing in the midst of, of something that's way bigger than me that threatens to undo the world. And I just long to get away from this seasickness. Maybe, maybe I can find a rock, a rock that I can get on, that will give me some sure footing, some sure something. Maybe, like the rock of Gibraltar, there's something that can ground me. Well, in the choppy seas, the whole thought of of postmodernism sort of adds to that because, because the idea is that there is no absolute truth, there is no rock, forget it, Ellen, um, that, that actually your truth is the truth and my truth is the truth and they all coexist. And the, the example that they use is a, um, a, a poem, a metaphor, from the 19th century. And it's, um, it's six blind men from India who are coming up on an elephant. And one of them says, oh, feeling the leg, I see. The elephant, the elephant feels like a tree trunk. It's like a tree trunk. And the other one over by the tusk says, no, an elephant is like a spear. And the one by the trunk says, says, no, an elephant is like a snake. And the other says, it's like a wall at his big side. And, and the one at the tail, it's, it's like a rope. And the one at the ear, it's like a fan. And you get the picture. Each one knew for sure what the elephant was. But it was all different. In the post, postmodern understanding, that's how we are with truth. Now, I understand that there's that there's some really good things. I, I love postmodernism because it really emphasizes experience. It validates experience. My experience, because it's mine, you can't take it away from me. Uh, my experience of truth, my experience of God, it's mine. I've experienced that. There's an ownership there. So in a way, it's it's an improvement on modernism, which was... Was really all about objective, measurable facts, and whoever had the most facts wins. And it was all about being right because I've got the most facts. And it filled church pews and mainline denominations because they would work their dogma and doctrine till they had it all right, and the guys, all those others, were wrong. There wasn't a whole lot of room for experience. So I like postmodernism. Because I know that my experience is real. That's how I understand God. maybe what the postmodernists miss is that those blind men from India were describing something. It was an elephant. And if we apply that to truth, then there is something there. It's truth, it's an absolute truth and None of us can really capture it all, but it's there. So maybe there's a rock somewhere. Kind of gives me a little hope in these choppy seas. Well, last Sunday was Pentecost. And Andy spoke about the letter of 1 John and the promise of the spirit of truth. And as I was preparing for this week's sermon, I, I took that and I thought, well, maybe there's some hope there. Maybe there is some, some solace or some solution or some rock or something that can ground me in this whirlwind of lies and lack of trust. And so I, I looked into the Gospels and, and I wanted to share with you what I found So Jesus came, he said, he was born to testify to the truth. So there's something there, we ought to pay attention. He was born to testify to the truth. And then just before he was going to the cross, which, by the way, was surrounded by lies, if you remember. What got him there? Lies. So On the way to the cross, he told his disciples, if you love me, I'll give you a comforter who is the spirit of truth. Now the world isn't going to know them, but the world isn't going to know the spirit. They won't be able to see the spirit, but you will. Now don't miss it. It's conditional. What's it conditional on? If you love me, and follow my commandments of love, I will give you the spirit of truth, and you will know truth. Jesus' spirit, I mean, Jesus' truth is somehow not, it's, it's dependent on relationship. It's dependent on love. If Jesus' truth is the absolute truth, T, uh, truth with a capital T, it's dependent on love, and we better not forget it. So how does that look? Well, I thought, you know, there's that cut and dried case, the woman who was caught red-handed in adultery. Now, I'm not sure it was her hands that were red, and that's another sermon. And, um, but she was caught in adultery, and the Pharisees and the scribes brought her to Jesus and said, the law says that any woman caught in adultery should be stoned to death. What do you say? It was a clear-cut case. Jesus was trapped, completely trapped. She was caught, the law says this, she's a goner. Jesus, looking down at the ground, playing the dirt, stood up and said, so any one of you that is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone and all of them walked away one by one. And he said to the woman, so who condemns you? And she said, well, no one. And he said, and neither do I. Jesus' truth was deeper than the facts. It was based on love, his relationship with the woman, his relationship, actually, with everyone there, it was based on their collective brokenness, our collective brokenness. It was based on love with Jesus. If you, if well, we'll just say if we're Christians and we are wielding the truth as a weapon, then. We're not dealing with Jesus' truth. We're not even at an elephant. We're at a giraffe or something else. The elephant is the absolute truth. It's Jesus' truth. The rock that we're looking for. Well, I have to confess something. I, um, I spent my life being really good at wielding the truth as a weapon. And... Um, About five decades is all, and um, and I had to look really deep for a time that I I practice what I see Jesus doing, and basically it was Andrew, my son Andrew. He was five years old, kindergartner. He had come home from school exasperated, and he said to me, "Mom." Life is hard. When is it going to get better? And by the grace of God, I did not say, are you kidding? You've got it easy. My gosh, just wait. You've probably got 12 or 15 more years of school. You think this is hard. And then after that, you'll be in a job, and who knows if you'll like what you're doing or if you'll like your boss. You'll have a family, kids running out, that you have to support all this pressure on you. Then you'll find out that your coping skills just are trash and they don't work, and then your body starts falling apart. You think you've got it bad. Thank God. Now, all that is true. But I didn't tell him that, because I loved him. And I didn't want to just crater my poor little precious kid. And so I said, Andrew, life is hard, isn't it? And you're doing a really good job, and the good news is that God goes with us the whole way. We're never alone in this. Was grace. <laughs> that was grace. Jesus' truth is based on relationship. It's based on relationship with Him, with God, who's going to send the Spirit, with the Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, with one another, and with our brokenness. The fact that in our brokenness, we are loved. So wait a minute the truth Jesus truth the absolute truth what what if it's there's not a rock what if it's Jesus asleep in our boat right in the midst of this storm that's bigger than all of us and we wake him up and say, help, and he says a deep truth, peace, be still, and all of a sudden, the waters around our little boat, no no matter that it's in the midst of a swirling storm, the waters are calm. Dang it. The postmodernists are right. Truth is relative. It's relative to love. It's relative to Jesus. It's relative to our brokenness. Ten years ago, you would have, I would have been dead before I would have said that. We must love. The deep truths spoken from the depths of our hearts and guts knowing that we are loved just as we are are the truths that Jesus is about. The rest of them are facts. Better keep Jesus in the boat. Amen.